So let's be real. Home is the place where all of the beautiful goodness Christ taught crashes headfirst into the ugly brick wall that is real life. But this is also where it starts to really matter. This is where we equip ourselves and our family with all of the tools, skills, and whatchamacallits vital to succeed in Christ. Join us in our journey to find light, positivity, and specific practical ways to make our homes little outposts of heaven so we can better brighten wherever we end up wandering. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Outpost of Heaven, the podcast. We're really excited today to welcome two awesome guests from Liberty Youth Academy. We have Brayden and Bonnie Hayes with us. Hey guys. Hi. Hi. I'm super excited about this. Uh, So Brayden and I had a quick text conversation before this and we decided, hey, let's jump on a phone call real quick. We'll plan on it just being like a five, 10 minute phone call so we can prep for this, uh, for this podcast. And then it ended up being like a, an hour long phone call as we just like kept talking and talking and talking. So I, I have a feeling that we are kindred spirits. So I'm pretty excited <laughs> about this, uh, about this episode. So Braden and Bonnie, why don't you tell us a little bit about you guys, about, uh, your family, about Liberty Youth Academy. Um, so we are, we live in Arizona, south of Tucson and Sarita, and we have four kids from 14 down to six. And, um, we kind of got, so we, we started a school. Um, we started a branch of a school, I guess I should say we started Liberty Academy, the second branch, the first branch of Liberty Academy was started by, um, Brayden's mom about 15 years ago in St. George, Utah. Um, and kind of the story behind the Liberty Youth Academy, it's, um, it's a long story, but I'll keep it, try to keep it really brief. But um, Stephanie started it um, 15 years ago. She was a young single mom. She had four kids at home. The youngest, I think, was four mm-hmm. when she started it. And um, she started it in a dance studio where she'd have to like set up school and then take it all down um, with a really small group. And she, um, we kind of helped a little bit with books and technical support, um, but really she did it on her own with God and worked through all the bugs of finding the curriculum and all of that. And it was really hard. And we watched all of that and we saw how hard it was for her, but we kind of watched it from a distance, which was nice to like, be like, okay, I'll call mom. <laughs> we don't have to deal with this. <laughs> yeah. Like, tell me about how hard it is. You sure. Yeah. Cry on my shoulder. And then we got to go back to our lives because we didn't even live in the, in the same, I mean, we lived in Northern Utah and she was in Southern Utah. Anyway. And, and did, did she have like a professional teaching background or any professional training? She had a lot of personal experience. So she was, she homeschooled herself. I guess you could probably speak to that better than me. Yeah. So her, her education was not in education. It turns out she, um, uh, which might be a plus. The, yeah. Uh, it could be it. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, education is important, you know, so if you don't have the piece of paper, she got an education for sure. Mm-hmm. She spent a lot of time starting when I was in middle school um, with uh, with homeschooling us. So that's kind of when she got started. Um, she ended up when we moved to Las Vegas, starting a homeschool group that grew to 300 families strong. And she was just a voracious reader and read everything she could on every homeschooling model and ideology and philosophy that she could find and became an expert in pretty much everything that was out there. So that, um, so yes, she did have an enormous and immense education in education, just not what you would typically think. Yeah. 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 Not, not with a teaching certificate, not from a college that came many years after college. Um, but extremely well-read and then was able to pull from all those different pieces and pull the best of everything into a kind of a cohesive model that we have. Yeah. Well, frequently what happens when you have that kind of approach is you're able to, you're able to get variety that like the formal model doesn't provide. I was listening to a podcast today, totally random, but it was, it was about the difference between, I think his name's John Williams and Hans Zimmer. Um, is it John Williams? It might be not, it might not be right, but the, John Williams wrote the, like the, the soundtracks for like Star Wars and Indiana Jones and Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. And so it's like very, very mm-hmm. classically trained. And mm-hmm. so it was very, very um, good in the framework of like Western composing. But then you have Hans Zimmer who, and this is what the podcast said. I have no, I haven't verified this, but he said that his formal training consisted of two piano lessons and then he got kicked out and then he went and joined a band. Right. So that was like Hans Zimmer's formal education. And so, and so you get like a very different flavor, which has brought us tons and tons of really good sound or really good 
um, it's not called soundtracks. What is it called when it's a movie? A score? Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like yeah. theatrical scores. Uh, and so there, there's a lot of there's a lot of value in like both formal and in self taught education. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So sorry. Yeah. But I, I just thought that was really cool and, and semi applicable, so I thought I would share it. So well, sorry. Go on. Reason, there's a reason that professors are supposed to be doing research, right? Like if you're researching, you're in not in it in the whatever field it is, then you're just more in touch with what right. you're doing. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, so we got to watch it for a good long time and we had, um, three kids and our, um, oldest, it was, he was five and he's ready to go to kindergarten and we had some kind of crazy family stuff going on. So I'm a product of homeschool that I went to kindergarten and then I was homeschooled the rest of my life. So I was very familiar with homeschool. We kind of had had always talked about it, but it was a bad time for us. So we were like, well, we'll just send our son to public school. Um, so we sent him to the public school and, um, he had a rough year and as, as a, as a mom, right. We like, we, we, we care when our kids struggle, but I couldn't quite understand what he was saying. He just would, he would tell me he'd feel yucky. He's like, I just feel yucky there. And I was like, okay, I don't really understand what's going on. And um, now like, you know, hindsight, you're like, oh, he felt the lack of the spirit that was there. And he didn't like the way that that felt. Um, And he, he did have situations with bullying. And so we knew after his kindergarten year that we were going to pull him out and homeschool him. Um, and that summer we were kind of playing around with um, the idea of sending him to summer school at Liberty's Academy in St. George. And so I drove everybody up, spent a week, drove home and left Jackson there for a week and then went and picked him up after. And I remember I went to go pick him up and he was just six, barely six. And I went to go pick him up and he like was so excited. And the way that he communicates is very, very enthusiastic. He's a very funny storyteller. And um, his sweet little six-year-old self, he just told me about this super amazing spiritual experience that he had. And he could identify it as such at six, which was new. That hadn't happened the whole school year. Um, But he just, he said, he's like, I felt the spirit so strong. And it was during um, choir and they were singing, I can only imagine. Mercy me. We love that song. Um, and he just had this amazing spiritual experience. And he just said, mom, I love it here. I feel so good. And I was like, oh my goodness. And so I called him and I was like, we have to get him here. We need to move. And at the time, he lived here in Arizona and we were like, done. We're moving. We're out of here. And he took a week off of work, went to St. George. He's never struggled to find a job ever. Um, we don't say that in a, in a proud way. He just hasn't struggled. But it was door after door was closed. And finally, we were like, well, this doesn't make sense. This is what we are supposed to have. We're supposed to have this kind of education for our kids. And so um, we prayed and felt like we were supposed to stay here. And so in my mind, I was like, okay, I'm homeschooling. That's where we're at. I got pregnant with baby number four and that pregnancy was like the worst pregnancy for me. I um, struggled with depression, which I've never struggled with. I struggled with crazy anxiety. Um, I had, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease right after this pregnancy, which could have kicked off somewhere in this and caused kind of hormonal, whatever. So I was not in a great frame of mind during this pregnancy. <laughs> and I so remember, thought, I should start a school. <laughs> well, no, he did actually. He came from mowing the lawn one day and he's like, Bonnie, I think we need to open an LAA here. And I had seen Stephanie and I was not in a good frame of mind. And I think I just started crying. I'm pretty sure I just started crying. I might've yelled. It wasn't a pretty thing. I learned a lesson on time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And smart man that he is, he dropped it until after I had the baby. And um, I tend to stabilize very quickly after I have a baby. So then like, you know, my baby's like two months old and he sits down. He's like, all right, Bonnie, I think, I think we need to revisit this idea. <laughs> and I was sane and I was more open to the spirit and we prayed about it and we got a yes. And I went through a mourning period. I won't lie. I cried a lot because I loved being a stay at home mom and I loved homeschooling and I did not want to do this big, hard thing because I knew it was going to be big and hard because I had watched Stephanie do it and I didn't want to do it. Um, but I was willing to do it. I was willing to do whatever God asked us to do. And I know he was as well. And so we started looking for a location. We started um, doing information sessions at libraries and just trying our best to get word out. Um, We had high hopes for our first year. We thought we'd be right at about 40 students. We were pretty sure that was going to be the first year. And um, 
We didn't. We started, um, we had nine students our first year and um, lots of miracles happened. It was amazing to work so closely with God on a project. I had never worked so closely with God and prayed about every step of the way. Um, But sometimes when God asks you to do something big, it's because it'll drive you to your knees. So (laughs) we had lots of miracles happen. We literally were able to move into the building that we are in right now um, the day before back to school night. So it was a long day. We got our two classrooms ready in that day and a half. And then we were able to have our back to school night. And then we had a weekend and then school started that Monday. Um, And it was just amazing. It was so, so amazing to see all of the, the way that everything just worked out in the nick of time. Literally, it was, there was never, never a moment to spare. And then over the last five years, it's, we've grown, um, we went from nine kids to this last year, we had 73, mm-hmm. I think wow. 73 students. And we have about 85 enrolled for next year, um, which is exciting and really quick growth. Um, Stephanie started small as well. I can't remember exactly how many she had her first year, 11 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, in her 15th year, just this last year, had um, about 130 students. Mm-hmm. So we've grown significantly faster than her. We A large portion of that is because there's scholarships available in the state of Arizona that um, will allow private schools to get tuition from the government um, through some different ways, tax credits and things. Um, And in Utah, there are no options like that. So Mm. we did get lucky there and we've been able to expand, but now we are too big. This last year, we were busting at the seams in our school building. And so we really need to move. We need to find a new location. And that's kind of the project that we're in the middle of right now. Mm-hmm. And so. my mom's in the same position. She's busting at the seams. She sent me, mm-hmm. it was funny. She sent me a picture from <clears throat> seven years ago. So before we had started and she sent me a picture of their, uh, for Valentine's day, we do a, a talent show and she sent me this picture and there were 20 students that she had at the time, seven years ago. So not only is it just grown very quickly for us, but she's seen the same thing in seven years. You know, we went from 20 students in one location to we'll be pushing 225 to 250 Mm -hmm. in two locations. And we're getting calls all the time of people asking for us to open up a location there. I mean, all around the country. So it's an exciting thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So how do you go about getting the word out? Good question. So it, something like this is is word of mouth, especially, I mean, we'll, you know, post on Facebook and we'll do Facebook advertising and things like that. But when you're starting a new school and no one's heard of you and everyone's wondering what, if, are they going to even be around long-term? It starts with a few brave souls um, giving it a shot. And then when it works <laughs> mm-hmm. and they like it and they're seeing the benefits, they tell their friends and it grows from there. I mean, that's... yeah. We had three yeah. families outside of ourselves that first year because three of our nine students were our children. And mm-hmm. so, and those other three families really, I mean, one was friends, but the other two we had just found, or no, there were three, there were four other families. The other <laughs> um, three we just had found through, we like posted information sessions at the library and we put, it really, it was just Facebook advertising. Yeah. Um, but word of mouth is by far the most effective people want to, before they put their kids in a place, they want to know somebody who's have kids in that place right. and they, and they yeah. trust them. Right. It's Let's somebody else's kids be the guinea, guinea pig. Exactly. You don't want to yeah. be the guinea pig. <laughs> yeah. So apart from being able to personally more directly control what your kids are, are being taught in their educational environment, I don't know if educational is an adjective or not, but their education yeah. environment, um, what make what makes you or what made you want to follow specifically the model that your mom had set up, Braden? Like, what about that? This education model is special. So it was it was a model that we both had been educated in. Um, you know, she I was kind of the guinea pig as she was figuring a lot of that out early, early on. Um, but this is what we both had grown up with. We had loved it. We it was an environment where you know, we had learned about the founding of our country, which isn't something that you can find really in a, in a standard public school anymore. Um, you know, we were able to move forward at our own pace. The areas where we had strengths, we were able to um, to accelerate and move forward. And so we were both able to graduate early. And so we, there's just a lot of reasons why we liked it. And quite frankly, it came down to um, 
you know, we felt like we were supposed to do something here. We felt like um, we were supposed to start a school here. And when we prayed about the kind of school that Heavenly Father wanted, it was this that was model. It. That was it. So that's so, what. A, go ahead, Bonnie. And for for me, a big piece of it too was I had my son who in his sweet little innocent way was telling me he needed the spirit. He needed to feel the spirit that only comes when you're teaching through God and when God is incorporated in all of what you teach. And so my sweet little son didn't understand how to articulate it. But then when we started the school and he was like, mom, it feels so good here. And he kept telling me that it feels so good here. And so many of our students say, this feels like home. This feels safe. This feels like a place I want to be. They don't dread coming to school. People will tell me like my kindergartner is jumping up and down at five 30 in the morning and wanting to go to school. Like it's because <laughs> of the feeling and our kids are so spiritually sensitive and they recognize when that feeling is gone. And so for me, a huge part of it is that God is interwoven through everything that we teach. And when you have that, um, he is the ultimate teacher. And so when the spirit is there to testify of the truth of what you're teaching, it's so, so powerful. So um, I I love this idea. And uh, I think a lot of like the church education system is designed to be like that, right? At the, the higher level. Um, and there were times at BYU where I was thrilled because I had professors that were doing that really well. And like the Lord and the gospel were interwoven into all of our discussions and it was just like an ever present reality. And then I had some professors that their version of this was like, they said a prayer at the beginning of the semester and they said a prayer at the end of the semester. <laughs> and like, there you go. There's, there's your Jesus. Um, yep. so what, what, yep. what specifically are you doing to engender that? or to embody that idea of having the Lord and the gospel kind of interwoven throughout everything you're teaching? Good question. So yeah, it's, um, we, we get that question a lot. It's way more than public school with the prayer at the beginning and at the end. So, you know, our, our morning, there's a morning devotional and teachers take turns, um, teaching on virtues. Most of them, they're leadership virtues, but they're Christ-like qualities as well. Honesty, integrity, faith, obedience, courage, all of these things. And we'll, and we talk about those. We start with the prayer. We begin with the song. We recite the pledge. Um, we have uh, a religion period every morning, and we teach and align with "Come Follow Me." So there's a part of it there That's as well. Cool. Our curriculum, especially when you get into the older grades and handwriting, we use the good and the beautiful, which is you know we use their handwriting, which you're copying Bible verses and these great poems that reference God and reference you know all these. Um, classical authors and classical poets. Um, we use a grammar curriculum that's like grandma and grandpa used to use when they were growing up that again, his, you're diagramming Bible, you know, sentences from Bible verses and things like that. It's so it's, it's interwoven throughout there. Um, the curriculum that we use for science and history was written so that you're always addressing a gospel principle and an academic principle. So you teach the academic principle and then you find the gospel parallel. You can see God everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. His thumbprints and his fingerprints are all throughout history and all throughout science. So, you know, when you talk about the uh, the solar system and the law of gravitation, you can also tie in how the law of gravity is as important for the earth's well-being and survival as the commandments are to ours. Um, so you can, anyways, that's just built into to all the curriculum and everything that we do. It's so much fun. I think that's so fun. amazing. Oh, sorry, Bonnie. No, that's okay. I just was going to say it's so much fun as the kids get older. Cause when they're younger, you kind of have to, you're feeding it to them a little bit more like, Oh, look, here's a gospel parallel. But as they get older, it's really fun to be like, what do you think the parallel is? And mm -hmm. then they, they can find, they get trained and you get trained to look for God. And when you get trained to look for God and everything that you do, it is, I mean, you find him everywhere, right? Like he is everywhere. So it's fun right. to, to see that. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to the more traditional academic approach, which is to try and remove like your own biases and, and base assumptions for which for Latter-day Latter Saints and for Christians in general requires removing uh, your <laughs> religious lens, right? Which is mm -hmm. how, which even at BYU, that's what I felt like I was being trained to do especially in like my higher level political science classes, uh, like yeah. you're trained to kind of look at things as objectively as possible, but there is no such thing as 
like really looking at things objectively, right? Like mm-hmm. you always have a base assumption. Um, and mm-hmm. so if you remove God from your base assumption out of a desire to look at things objectively from a secular perspective, like all you're doing is adopting a separate set of assumptions that are contrary to the existence of God. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which is so interesting that we don't see that that is what we're doing. Yeah. I really, really love what you said to train them to see God. And that's like something that you're doing at the school, but that's what we should be doing as parents. We should be training our kids to see God so that that's who they are when they become parents themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about how um, like you're aligned with come follow me and some things and you talk about God all the time and it's like, it's, it's in what you do. It is what you do, you know, um, mm-hmm. but it's not, is it, or is it not like totally Latter-day Saint? Because I mean, before we started recording, you talked about how there are some students that are not members of the church, but um, can you maybe address that a little bit? Well, before we go on there, I see a point now. Okay. We as a church need to have a powwow about our new adjective when describing <laughs> things. Cause like it used to be so much easier to say like, like, like Mormon as an adjective, but like Latter-day Saint-ish or Latter-day saint D is like the closest thing I can figure out. And like they've even, they've even asked us not to use LDS. And so now I feel, like, I feel like I don't have a good adjective to describe like churchy things. It's so uh, we, we need an updated style guide to include the adjective that we should use. There's my plea to the first presidency. If you're listening to this, give me the adjective to use here. Cause I have no idea what to use besides Latter-day Sainty. So go on. Sorry. <laughs> um, so I look at this, we, we approach it the same way um, that, my family handled when I attended a Bible school one summer when we lived in Texas, right? Like we, um, it was kind of a summer camp, summer program. And we, I, my sister and I attended, we learned all kinds of Bible stories and it was fantastic. There were a few things though, that were a little bit different. And I remember going home and asking my parents, you know, what, what's this sounds different from what I remember hearing in primary. And we had a good conversation, but 95% of what we talked about was common. It was faith building. It was exactly what I believed. Um, And so no matter which um, denomination you choose to teach from, if you're going to teach from a Christian perspective, even non-denominational is still kind of denominational, right? There's still a a set of beliefs that are core to that, that are different from a Baptist or Presbyterian or a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So um, we teach from the perspective of the Church of Jesus Christ, because that's what we know. Um, Parents are welcome to come in and observe during any of those, especially during religion, and see what we're talking about. You know, we try not to make it Sunday school because you get Sunday school on Sunday. So a lot of it is uh, we're a leadership academy. So when we're looking at the story of Nephi, um, what leadership attributes did he show when he stood up to his brothers that we can learn from? And whether you think that the Book of Mormon is historically factual or a book of fairy tales, there's still really important lessons to learn. And we've, everyone that has taken us up on that invitation to come and observe has walked away saying, nope, I'm fine. I love this. Let's do it. Like, that's fine. Um, and well, we'll, especially because it's like, all right, I can do this. Or I can have like gender theory, critical race theory, and drag queens in my school. So, like, if those are the options, I'm going with Nephi, right? That's an easy choice. You're like, one of these is going to teach good things, and the other one, I don't don't know. Yeah, and there's 95%, you know, from one Christian denomination to another, there's 95% of things that we can agree on. Um, And most of that is the heart. I mean, that's that Christ is our Savior. Well, especially when it comes to like that, especially when it comes to just like, like how we should live our lives and mm-hmm. like your, your, um, yeah, I'll just say that, like how we should live our lives. Like the, our, we generally have a pretty common agreement or pretty common ground there with the vast majority of, of, of Christians. Right. Well, yeah. if we want to talk about like, while. yeah, oh, if you want to talk about like the mechanics or like the economy of God and like how it all works and how it's all going to be divided up. Um, and like the specific, steps required then it gets like then you start diverging a lot but for the most part when it comes to what kind of person should i be like you see like it's pretty generally accepted which type of person you should be among christians at least we have that in common still right yes 
Yeah. And if anything specific to our faith, because we did, I mean, um, Doctrine and Covenants was the book of scripture that we studied from last year. Um, Mm -hmm. And so when we talked about the word of wisdom, we just say, we're like, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, in 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 the church I go to, this is what we believe. And then when one of the kids raised their hand and says, but my mom drinks coffee, we say, that's fine. You should just have that conversation at home. And that's really yeah. neat. That doesn't, that doesn't need. And I, what I love about it is that it helps the kids to understand that differences don't actually need to make us upset or angry with each other. We can actually still love each other, even when we're different and we have different beliefs and that's still okay. The core mm-hmm. of it is still the same. The core of it is still. God yeah. Well, and, and, and how interesting is that? I think it's, it's a weird, um, oh gosh, what's the word? Like we're like self-aware, like really oh, like self-conscious of something. It's a weird, like self-conscious aspect of Latter-day Saint culture, I guess, where in our minds, it's totally acceptable for like Catholics and Baptists to have schools that teach Catholic doctrine and teach Baptist doctrine. But when Uh we think about a school having like Latter-day Saint doctrine, we're like, oh, but I don't want to like offend people (laughs) or like, like (laughs) for some reason there's like that feeling. I didn't think about that. Um, Yeah. I mean, cause like you, you, we don't bat an eye here. Like, oh, the, like. Parkview Baptist is a school. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a church here no deal, in, in right? Baton Rouge that has a school. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, it's fine. Like they, they teach. And I went to a Baptist middle school or elementary middle school and high school. Uh, and so, like the fact that they taught Baptist theology, like, like okay, like this is kind of what you sign it's up. For, like expected, right? right? Like mm-hmm. a bunch of Baptists got together and said, "Hey, we want to provide better education for our kids, and we want to open up to anybody who wants into it." And we decided we wanted to access the education, and so like that's just kind of part of the deal and it what like it's not offensive and so like we shouldn't be like offended of it um so one question i had uh or one potential pushback i see is like okay if you're going to put um and i think i I can already see the answer right so i'm not saying this from a place (laughs) like i think you're wrong but um so having a perspective that is so different from the way that education's done in the public world, uh, specifically one that's focused so much on God. So let me no, ask no, no, a question that I think I have some, some, some of our listeners might ask. Okay. So they're looking at this saying, this is a very religious perspective and very religious approach, but doesn't that uh, mean that you're going to spend less time on purely academic pursuits? And does that mean you're going to be distracted or uh, it's, you're, you're not going to achieve the same level of academic proficiency? So, first of all, um, there is a whole lot of time now that is spent on social programs, um, sex education, critical race theory, not to mention the hours and days spent on standardized tests that aren't given to teachers until months after the fact. So it actually does nothing for helping improve teaching and during the class. So all of these things, there's all of this time that goes into all of these kind of social agendas. Um, so no, I mean, in fact, we, um, it, so just looking at it from that perspective, there's um, even more academics going on here. I mean, we see all the time kids that come in um, you know, behind or right at grade level. And then within a year or two, they're assessing ahead of grade level, right? Because right. we don't waste time on all that stuff. The other thing is um, there is no better way to learn than with the presence of the spirit. Um, so inviting the spirit invites a better way and a better environment to learn truth. And I remember, so when I was homeschooled, um, my, we didn't have Google. I was teaching myself algebra, um, algebra one, algebra two, and I would get stuck all the time. And I didn't have a resource at the time to go to that could help me with that. And so I would pray and ask for help. And I would, my mind would be enlightened. It would click in my head and I'd be able to figure it out. The bet, I mean, so the, it's the, all the OG Khan Academy, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it, exactly. Um, but it is all over the scriptures. The spirit is what leads us to truth by the Holy ghost. You should all know the truth of all things. And and if you're trying to learn truth in an environment where you're having to try and sift through truth and error and philosophies of men and all this other stuff in an environment where you can't feel the spirit, you are swimming upstream. So from a good follow-up question for this, I think would be uh, from the Latter-day Saint perspective, like we, 
are simultaneously an extremely egalitarian church and an extremely hierarchical church, right? In, in a lot of ways, we are, are both. It's, we're kind of a, a paradox, um, specifically in you know the priesthood line of authority. Um, and so I'm wondering, what would you say to somebody who says, hey, like, I, I, I love that we're talking about gospel principles, but like you're not in the chain of command like you're this isn't like a priesthood sanctioned thing and yet you're you're teaching gospel principles here right so you're kind of taking it unto yourself um and some I, i'm not saying this but like what, what would you say somebody said okay well this is kind of priestcraft like you're using you know you're using religion and you're using your spirit like the spiritual teaching from how you see this in your perspective to build this I, I, this business, I recognize it's a nonprofit and you guys aren't ma- making really <laughs> money out of this, but just uh, humor that, that criticism or that, um, that question someone might have. I think the first part that I want to bring up is defined priestcraft, right? So priestcraft is that men set themselves up as a light to the world for gain, right? That is what priestcraft is, is you're setting yourself up as the authority from God. You're setting yourself as the prophet. You're setting yourself up as the, the voice for God in order to make money, right? The intent is an, an extremely important part of the definition of priestcraft. Um, when my mom got into this and started this 15 years ago, uh, she took over from a group of people who were trying to do something similar, but this was a business investment for them. And they struggled and they struggled and it didn't work. It didn't work. Um, So when my mom picked this up, she knew that it had to be what God wanted and only what God wanted. As soon as financial considerations became a part of it, she just knew early on, she got a blessing actually that told her that. Um, If this becomes about money, you will lose this stewardship. And I had never connected that with priestcraft, but as we're talking right now, that's why. That's why, because as soon as that becomes a part of it, then it does become priestcraft. It picks up that that definition, that that important second half of the definition of what priestcraft is. Um, and when we sat down to do this as well, she had that same conversation that this cannot be about money. And we've, um, you know, have made a lot of decisions she before we started and us since then that don't make sense financially, but God told us to do it. And the net was there to catch us and it's worked out. We have progressively worked ourselves into a lower and lower income over the past five years because it's what God told us to do. It's not about the money. And as soon as it becomes about that, it's not going to work. It, it won't. So I don't know if that completely. No, yes. Yeah, so I, 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 I think that answered the, the second part. I, I asked a two part question, which is my fumble, right? Like I'm not supposed to, uh, those aren't the good, very good questions. So, uh, so that definitely asked the, the, as the priestcraft section, the priestcraft portion of that question. The other point of the question would be um, like, this isn't church sanctioned, right? This is kind of your perspective on things. Oh, so like authority or something? Authority. Yes. Yeah. So like, like what is your authority? And, and, um, you know, and some might even take the next step and say, okay, if this was a good thing that the, and this might lead into our conversation about, uh, misconceptions about education or like our misconceptions mm-hmm. or doctrinal misconceptions about education. Some might say, oh, look, the church used to have all of these high schools. They used to have all of these secondary education systems, uh, but they've been divulging or divesting themselves of these systems for so long, like if it was that important, the church would do it. Mm. So what do you say to that? So I would say to that, if it were that important, then the church would also be running the government, right? If it were that important, the church would be getting involved in picking candidates. If it were that important, I mean, there's a million things. You know, if it were that important, um, the church would be supplying all of the world's food, right? We need food. If it were, so there's there's all kinds of things. So I go back to the scripture that says, it's not meat that God commands in all things, right? But men should be anxiously engaged in a good cause of their own free will and choice. So it's God is not that the purpose of the church. And I, this is kind of getting off the subject a little bit, but you know, I 
the Doctrine and Covenants going back to the Constitution, right? There's a lot of things that are in our country that are attacking the underpinnings of the Constitution. And in the Doctrine and Covenants, it talks about how the Constitution was inspired by God that was written by wise men raised up for this purpose. And so I see these things going on and I'm, you know, I kind of want, man, I want the church to take a little bit more of a stance on some of these things and why aren't they? And I, I, you know, that was especially with COVID and everything else. Um, I've really pondered that over the past couple of years. And the conclusion I've come to is this church is a global church. There's a temple going in, in China. There are saving ordinances that are going to be available to the people in China today because the church isn't out there beating a drum and telling them, you know, waving the constitution in their face. The church's job is not to run the government. It's to provide saving ordinances to God's children. That's it. That's what the priesthood line is for. That's what that line of hierarchy is all about is, is the right way to get saving ordinances to God's children. It's on us to defend the constitution. It's on us to find the right political, you know, candidates to endorse. It's on us to go about doing other good things to build right. up God's kingdom. Uh, um, and, and the prophet has been explicit time and time and time again, that we all have the responsibility, um, the duty, the responsibility, and the privilege to receive our own revelation. Right. And so you, yeah. and, the, and the scriptures are replete, especially the book of Mormon replete with examples of people receiving revelation um, outside of priesthood lines right? Mm -hmm. For what they personally should do. So even if it's not like, Hey, the church needs to be doing this, like Moroni, you need to go fortify this area, right? Like you need to go, uh, like build up the city, even though it wasn't the church doing it, like it was an inspired thing, like a a follower of Christ received revelation to go do this thing. So Mm -hmm. I I love that. We have the responsibility to act and to kind of be engaged. And another thing that I would another way I would answer my own question would be like, Hey, there's, you're going to do, if you're going to do something, you're going to bring in some perspective. Like you're going to bring in some biases and some philosophy and ideas behind it. So like, why would you not bring in the gospel in, in, um, covert Mm -hmm. and overt ways to inspire like how you're doing things. Like even when we started this podcast, it started off as like a, we're just going to be like a Christian podcast and like we're Latter-day Saints, but like we won't like completely be like super open about it, but we'll like talk about words like jargon and stuff if we need to. And we quickly discovered like we can't just be like some non-denominational Christian podcast. Like this is who we are. We can't like shy away from that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we need to be our our authentic selves. And that's a tricky thing to try to be like. Well, and kind of building off of what you are just saying, my favorite scripture of all time is Alma 37, 37. It's counsel with the Lord and all thy doings and he shall direct thee for good. And then it goes on. Pray to God over your fields, over your flocks, you know? And so if bringing God into sheep herding and wheat, um, you know, um, wheat farming, is appropriate, then why in the world would we not include God when we're trying to grow people and leaders and disciples of Christ? If it's applicable in wheat, that's certainly applicable for kids. Right. But but this is a 21st century. We're a multicultural uh, society. Uh, (laughs) So, um, sarcastic. Yes, sarcastic. (laughs) Um, So, I want to we've been talking for a lot longer than I realized already. So I want to make sure we get to a couple different things. So as an ardent Samuel Adams fan and uh, son of Liberty myself, I'm very interested in hearing about your perspective of the constitution and why it's so vital and how you bring that into Liberty Youth Academy. And that's actually like, we got a request to speak with you like, and the 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 main topic was like this guy knows so much about the constitution he's so passionate about america and, and all the things and so that's that was like the first thing that we heard about you so just oh, to put that in there well, well thank you so um is there anything specific uh about the constitution you want to talk about or um you know one of the things that i really loved and if we can go here if you'd like um is just talking about how education and the constitution fit when the founding first happened Right. And I think that's, um, I don't know, which way, which direction would you like to go? I mean, kind of wherever you want. I mean, I, I, um, 
I, I love the constitution. I love the philosophical underpinnings of the constitution. I, I love the idea of a, a well-educated uh, citizenry and part of, in order to, or the requirement for the citizenry of a, of a republic to be well-educated, well-versed, well-taught uh, so that we can fully participate in all of this and, and the essential and the essential role that the well-educated individual plays in a healthy Republic, but anywhere you want to go, like what, why is it so <laughs> critical to teach this to youth? Well, um, it's critical because, um, well, first of all, kind of going back to what I was saying before our, um, in, in our church, we believe that the constitution was inspired by God, that he raised up the founders for this purpose. It, I mean, it's incredible that there were this many people of that caliber who all had read a lot of the same things and had the same, um, you know, understanding that that many of that caliber people happened to be in the same part of the world at the same period of time to, to make this happen um, is nothing short of miraculous. So yeah, God definitely had a part in bringing all that together. Um, the war in heaven was fought over freedom and fought over agency. I mean, this is a battle as old as time itself. And um, the constitution is the closest thing that our world has seen um, to a structure of government that has allowed God's ideal of maximum liberty, maximum agency for people to work out their own salvation and to, to raise their families. It's the closest, you know, the best thing that this world has seen um, since the dawn of time that allows that mission, um, that um, kind of core tenet of heaven to really be fully realized. Um, so that's why it's important for our students to understand. It's also incredibly important for our kids to understand the constitution. I love um, Dallin H. Oak's recent talk on this within the last couple of years. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was crying when he gave that talk. I was like, I was just so, my soul had like never been as happy as it was to hear President Oak's talk. Yeah. That was so yeah, great. And it really, he, heart, he hit on a lot of things that President Benson, you know, was extremely vocal about during his presidency. And we've lost a lot of those things. And education is one area. Education and religion is one of those areas where we have lost an incredible amount of freedom that existed for the first 100, 150 years of our country. And it's not led to good places. You know, when um, there's this idea that's crept into our society, and it started back in the 1930s and really cemented in the 1960s, this idea of separation of church and state, which is a phrase that many people would probably be surprised to hear isn't in the Constitution. We hear it so much yeah. um, all over the place. It's not in the Constitution at all. Yeah, it, wasn't um, even, it didn't show up until like if I remember right, like a Thomas Jefferson letter in like 1805 or something like, or like yep. that. I can't remember exactly what it was. Yep. And he was, and it was taken out of context. It's not the original intent. I mean, all the constitution says there's two things that it brings up about religion. You can't require a public, a federal public office holder to take a religious test and Congress, which is the federal government shall make no law respecting yeah. the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That's it. Which is the church. It, and it's so funny because like, I think like 10 of the 13 original colonies, I mean, uh, yeah, 10 of the 13 original colonies had state religions when they were formed. They did. And like, it was fine. In the state that constitution, they all had, they all like, almost all of the colonies were started by a religious group and they had a state religion. And so this idea that like the constitution outlawed like, like religion at all at the state level or the local level is, is just laughable. It's so funny. It, it, it was a federal restriction only. Now, after the federal constitution was passed, I, practically every state went back and amended their own constitutions to put something similar in there, which is yeah. awesome. And I think it's a huge win for religion, but it was never meant to be have any control over the states. And that's why it's called Congress shall make no law respecting this, right? It was right. specifically against the federal Congress, a restriction there. Um, but so you get this idea. This is what America was. Thomas Jefferson, at the time he wrote that letter, was attending church in the Capitol building, by the way. So if we think that separation of church and state, as we interpret it today, meant what it did back then, it just it didn't. Taken out of context, not what it meant. Yeah. And there's all kinds of literature to support I mean, that. I mean, like, con like the Senate and the House still start their sessions with a prayer, right? Yeah. Like, yes. They, they oh, still do, they really? do in 2022. Yeah. yeah. Like this past year, they said, like, 
like the guy was, he said something stupid. He's like, amen. And a woman at the very end of, of the prayer. So like it, it's, what? it gets off the rocker sometimes, but like they, like they still end it with a prayer. And so obviously there's like this idea, like the idea of separation of, of state is a political tool, not like mm-hmm. a bedrock principle of the, like of, of the, of the Republic. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And they, and it's it, still there, but not in our schools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't. <laughs> Can't even, we've got, yeah, can't wish Merry Christmas to people in schools. Our kids can't, but anyway, so it, you kind of go back and you look at this early American period. One of my favorite descriptions of religion and education, and this is all an outgrowth of the constitution that we had, was by um, Alexei de Tocqueville. Um, he's a French political <sighs> philosopher that came and toured the United States in the early 1830s. And he wrote a book in 1835 called Democracy in America. And he's trying to figure out what made America work. And this is after the French Revolution and the bloodbath that that turned into. So he comes over, he's like, all right, we had this you know, revolution in America. We had it in France. They ended up very, very differently. What's special about America and religion is what he found that was special about it. And one of my favorite quotes from him was, that in New England, every citizen receives the elementary notions of human knowledge, right? They learn secular things. He has taught, moreover, the doctrines and evidences of his religion, the history of his country, and the leading features of its constitution. In the states of Connecticut and Massachusetts, it is extremely rare to find a man imperfectly acquainted with all these things, and a person wholly ignorant of them is a sort of phenomenon. Um and you read that and there's a whole bunch yeah. of examples of this. That is the educational system that led the United States to become a superpower. Yeah. And went from that country out group of outcasts to the world's leader. Um, and we've got to get that back. Yeah. We have, when we kicked God out of the schools, we've not, it's not, we've not improved. Yeah. <laughs> well, the country. So one thing I love about the Tocqueville is, he uh sometimes uh, in conservative circles we kind of like prop up what he said like look tokeville thought that like america was great and awesome and he had like it was everything he said about us was wonderful but actually if you read his writings like he thought most of america were like a bunch of uncouth backwards hillbillies uh, and then he's like, but they're religious and it's working and I don't like, like I just I don't and so he said that, like that was like he said that very begrudgingly, right? Can you can imagine some like like French philosopher coming over to like the backcountry United States and he's like, Why is this working? Like we had this glorious French Revolution and we ended up it ended up being awful. And so like uh-huh. what about which is oh and it's it's so beautiful because basically you had this, the French revolution was epitomized. was the, the epitome of a secular godless revolution, right? Especially the, yep. the first couple rounds of it. And so you have this highly sophisticated, highly secular uh, approach to the world. This, I, this embodiment of the enlightenment and, and rationalism coming is like coming to the United States. And they're like, everyone just had such a strong opinion of like their own, personal sovereignty and of their mm-hmm. own place in the world and in the economy of god it's like i don't know what these hillbillies are doing but like they have this one thing that seems to really be working for them uh, and like that's like he that's what he recognized or one of the one of the aspects of the genius that was america that he identified uh, and so I, I love this idea of getting back to this uh, to this uh creating people that are uncontrollable because of their devotion to God, right? It's like they recognize that the, the Americans during the revolution, during that early period were so aware of who they were mm-hmm. because of their grounding, the fact that they were ground in scripture, they're ground in their idea of, of individual sovereignty because of God. Right. Yep. Well, and a lot of the founding, I mean, the founding fathers talked about that openly. The only way that, you know, John Adams famous quote was that the constitution was made only for a religious and moral people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other, which is a powerful statement in and of itself. But you've got Benjamin Franklin saying that, um, you know, the more corrupt people become, the more need they have of masters. So it's not just that 
hey, this constitution here only works if you're moral and religious, but the only way you can have freedom, period, is if you have um, something, uh, a higher power or something that is helping you try to manage and govern yourself, right? And what Thomas Jefferson loved about the Christian education was it doesn't just act on the actions of the people, but it tries to stop bad behavior and bad actions at the fountainhead, at the heart, right? Christ came and taught, it's not enough just not to kill, but don't even get angry, right? If you have a society of people that is trying to manage and govern themselves at that level, you can have maximum freedom. And when you take that away, you there's no other choice but to accept utter chaos and anarchy or to impose more restrictions, more rules, right. more police, because the people aren't doing it themselves. Right. It's the, the, the death knell of American individualism has been the removal of, of God from, that, from the center of the individualism. Right. So American individualism, which has characterized and epitomized the American way for so I mean, since the beginning. And even now it's all about an individualism more or less. Right. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's an individualism devoid of God. Uh, and so if it's devoid of God, then it's truly individual. But if, if God's at the center of your individualism and this idea that I'm going to be ungovernable, uh, you are doing that while being governed by God. And so then you're still connected to your community. You're still connected to your family. But as soon as that is removed from from the equation, then mm-hmm. you we fall into this like, I, I don't even know how to describe what's going on right now with American individualism, but like, it's just, everyone's become so individual, they've become amorphous, right? And they just like become this big blob. Uh, <laughs> it, like, like, because you have yeah. to be, it, it's so wild to me to watch this happen, but I, I love this idea of trying to make, um, help youth, embody the uh, that original american christ-based sovereignty or christ-based individualism mm-hmm. so yeah well yeah. and i i think this idea of separating religion from secular that's kind of that's kind of a new idea right it right truth is truth um you know when you look at what the doctrine and covenants one of the school of prophets to learn. It was everything. It was all on the table. Faith, wars and perplexities of nations, um, you know, how people are governed, languages, all truth is God's, right? right? Truth is truth. And the only reason you would want to try and separate the two of them is if you plan to remove one of them at some point. And when you look at you know, they tried to do this the other way when Galileo and some of the early astronomers were coming out with these radical ideas about the sun being the center of our solar system or the universe instead of the earth. That went against the church's teachings. And so the church tried to separate the two so that it could cut off all of these the scientific advancements. Right. And that is equally dangerous to progress and knowledge, as is the opposite of trying then to separate the two so you can pull God out. Either way, anytime you're trying to compartmentalize truth, you're not left with truth anymore.